Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Eddie Roach. Thanks for listening. On today's show, we interviewed Leonardo Klika. He's an architect from Sydney, Australia, and a good buddy of mine. This is also a special episode because it was the first time that we did Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We had some audio troubles in the beginning, so we've edited those out. So if you catch the conversation like it's about 30 seconds too late, that's the reason why. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, and I want to say special thanks to Leonardo, a.k.a. Third, for joining us. Welcome to the Jumpstart Junkie Podcast, coming to you from the scorching hot desert, live from Phoenix, Arizona, bringing you exclusive interviews, specializing in business mentorship, life coaching, and more. And now your host, podcaster, vlogger, and serial entrepreneur, Eddie Roach. Welcome to launching a podcast, huh? Ducking and moving, man. Staying agile. I think that's a that's a lesson. Yeah, it's a so lesson you, for everyone at this at this point in time, isn't it? Look, it's hard to um, you know, it's hard not to think out of context or 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 have a chat about um, uh, experiences and stuff outside of currently what's going on. Not just you know, not just what's in front of us where you are in Arizona or where I am in Sydney, but globally. So uh, we'll try to we'll try. <laughs> uh folks discuss and objectives yeah i think you know we talked a couple days ago and you know it does exactly where it all went right even even yeah we hadn't had the opportunity to catch up and this uh covid stuff just sucked the conversation right out of us i know um and so it's kind of good in a way because so we can actually touch on a couple different points here but i don't think anyone really heard what you said prior but i'll kind of recap okay i'm happy to go through it again yeah go for it yeah yeah so you know, I'm an architect in Sydney. Uh, I've had my own sort of studio now for over three years, but uh, I've been in the um, built environment design industry for over for almost 20 years now. Um, you know, I came to Australia when I was seven years old. Um, I went through the education system here, went to a couple of colleges and then university and happened to sort of land myself in a few sort of really good jobs at high profile design firms and um, over time just realized that um, uh, you know I had the opportunity to set up my own sort of practice and studio so I went for it so I think that that's kind of uh, some of the stuff that we're going to touch on kind yeah. of today and on, on that kind of experience here. Yeah so let's yeah. talk about that let's dive in that a little bit because you had a from what I understand obviously a lot of the viewers won't but I mean, you had a really good corporate gig. The culture was was great. Yeah, understand. And what was it that made you take a leap out of a very cush position? Yeah, really, right. For most people, absolutely. To hey, let's go do this on our own and take <laughs> <our> risk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, look, um, it was um, again. Um, firstly, it was understanding that um, personally, you know, I'm, I'm quite an emotional person. And a lot of the decisions that I make through life itself is obviously driven by those kind of emotions. And basically, the biggest leap at that point in time in my career was uh, was family. And um, and yeah, like, like like you said, that it was I was in a I was in a position in the job that I had that I was managing particular teams, and the projects were really good. You know, they were multi million dollar type type of residential projects but 
it was really sucking the time out of um, the other aspect of what was going on in my life at, at, at that particular time was having kids. <laughs> so it was a, it was kind of like a little bit of a, you know, a, a fork in the road of, um, of deciding where to invest that time because, you know, it's a, it's cliche, but it's, you know, time is one of those commodities that we just can't replicate and the kids will never be, you know, kids again. And it was kind of just stepping out and really understanding that for myself, again, it's a personal, right. it was a personal sort of driver. But that was kind of the leap of faith that you talk about was that, that, um, you know, I, I have this opportunity to kind of sustain a living outside of, uh, the normal working office environment. And then, right. um, I can still spend time with the family. So that was kind of, a one of the biggest drivers really. So it was more of a prioritization than it was a goal, or do you think you gave up some of your goals to make sure that the family was priority number one? Yeah, so when it comes to, I guess when it comes to goals, it was always a big picture goal to start my own business. But it, but the the path or the journey of actually getting there was a little, um, you know, I guess maybe it wasn't as clear as in my mind that, that, that I thought it was. But it right. wasn't until actually I saw that opportunity um, uh, to actually step out of, of working working sort of office environment that you know that goal basically changed because um not changed but i guess adapted because i i saw that opportunity does that make sense yeah it does I, it does to me but to clarify a little bit more for those who don't really know you mm -hmm. um do you think that if you didn't have the family and the kids you would have started your own business probably not uh in all honesty it was uh um I think the plan or the goal originally prior to stepping out or, 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 or facing that fork in the road was to gain as much experience and that I could in, in the practices and the projects that I was working on um, to a point where I was maybe comfortable enough, whatever that, whatever that comfort level needed to be to then step out and then try to do my own thing. Um, I was definitely not there yet mentally. Uh, I feel if I didn't have kids, I'd probably still be in the in the in the field. I guess working in a, working in the in the studio that I was working at. Right. Um, but yeah, it definitely changed the the way I looked at um, my approach to work. Right. And and the yeah and the division between work and and family. I guess. So when. How, how different was your goals when you were working for the studio versus now your goals mm. working independently as a business owner and taking yeah. on all the risk? Totally different. Um, I guess when you're working in a, in a studio, you're, you have uh, bosses and there's an infrastructure in place that, uh, that is based around running, you know, a bigger business and there's other plays in the, or the other you know, architects or designers that are in the studio that um, that have uh, an influence on, on where that kind of business is going. Whereas um, now that I'm running sort of my own studio, um, there's the, the layers of dynamics around, you know, those kind of relationships basically doesn't exist. It's right. like um, the pace and the tone of, of the work that, that I do is totally dictated by, um, 
what what I think it should be or what, where it needs to go. Um, so yeah, so it's it's kind of it's kind of a totally different sort of dynamic in, in that aspect. Yeah, a whole different dichotomy of uh, yeah. priorities and goals and everything got realigned, right? Yeah, it's weird because I think uh, I think you get, everyone thinks they have it figured out when you're 24. I think we met uh-huh. 24, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, around that time. Yeah, no kids. Yeah, 23, 24, no, no kids. kids. No family, not married. Yeah. And uh, and pretty much we thought we could just um, do anything we wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you fast forward, uh, you know, 16 years later, 15 years later, we're uh, completely shifting your, everything that you thought you had figured out at 25. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, um, uh, I was thinking about um, some of the stuff that I might be able to kind of share it um, during this conversation. I think one of the biggest sort of take that I wanted to to sort of take away for um, for the guys that, that are listening is that I think it's um, I think it's about um, understanding what um, is important in a, in a in your particular sort of uh, situation and and seeing and seeing whether whether or not um you can make sort of adjustments in either your life or or your workplace to kind of make that situation either better or um or you know if if that vision of what's important is not necessarily part of your life here what what steps can i take to to sort of get me there and um yeah i think uh, i think acknowledging that first for you like have that, has that evolved for you over time on what those steps might be and where they might lead, or do you have you been pretty laser focused on on that progress? Yeah, I talked to a lot of people about about um, that question. Actually, I think um, I think a lot of people. Uh, how can I put it? Uh, I think the skill is being able to stop and step back and analyze. Uh, the big picture of what's happening around you, um, and sort of uh, and make those sort of little adjustments um, to to sort of uh, put you back on the right kind of path of, of where you want to go. So the answer would be, you know, yeah, it's constantly changing and evolving, but it's it's about for me personally, it's about stepping back and sort of understand why uh, things are the way they are, and then if I can make particular adjustments so that um, they can go in a, in a better direction or, or in a path that was more sort of focused to what um, what the goal actually was you know to be to be a lot more specific um, you know when I when I was still working in the office and and my kids were still super young you know one or two years old the goal was always to kind of balance the two work right. and life and it's not and yeah exactly and um it's not even balancing anymore it's it's uh it's it's about staying sort of agile enough to accommodate the two because one and 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 dedicating the time uh depending on what you know where the time is required at that particular time um do you think it's a mistake if people are like saying hey i'm gonna have this set schedule from nine to five and then i'm gonna cut off work and then from five to eight this is this is kid time mm-hmm. dedicated or do you think do you think that is that a trap or is that something that you would subscribe to um i think it's so it's so personal to to the kind of um the kind of work that people are in 
but in the work that kind of I do and because I'm kind of running my own sort of workload and studio these days it's a lot more um, accommodating to change and I and I say you know I talk about the word agile and um, you know there's instances where you know I need to put in you know five six hours and then have a dedicated time after that to do something else with the kids and um, and and then jump back into the workload for another you know four or five hours and then um, and then you know, stop to sleep um, I guess uh, you know I guess it's it's really um, how can I put it uh, uh, I think in my situation it's a lot more flexible the kind of right work that I do but it may not be applicable to to, to all industries to most, yeah yeah you're because what you're doing your sales cycles are longer your relationships are longer um mm -hmm. they're not the volume of deals is is far less than like far as quantity is concerned mm -hmm. however your uh, you know the the actual revenue of it per deal is far greater than that of let's say if you were managing a cell phone store and you had to sell a hundred of those damn things you're yeah, managing yeah. how many clients a year uh, in, your, in your private practice. How many? How many do you usually hold in your book? You know, anywhere between anywhere between two to four per annum, and that's kind of uh, that makes it sustainable. Um, right. You know, in bigger practices, there'll be a lot more clientele, but the the revenue was so much more sort of larger. You know, in you know to put that in context, let's call it. You know, if you had a one million dollar residential project you know the fees on that would be anywhere between you know 10 to 20 percent depending on the scale of the job and if you distribute that with the resources that you have on that project you know if you're not if if there's only two people in that project for instance then the you know the the profits are quite high but then if you're if you've got too many you know resources on one job then you burn that money quite quickly but, what you managed at the studio right wasn't understanding that allocation the workflow the workload correct wrapping the different uh yeah. parts of the job yeah correct um and let me just go back real quick about um because i spoke about again the opportunity to step out of that kind of workspace um mm -hmm. environment and i think ultimately what um and it touches back on the goal aspect of what you're talking about earlier was that one of the goals whilst I was working in, in that kind of environment was to basically learn as much of the architectural business um, right. uh, from the guys that I was working with, also my bosses and and and, and almost in sort of like an in-house kind of mentoring type of situation where you know I was constantly trying to absorb and ask questions and seeing how that aspect of the business worked, like financially what um, uh, what were the pitfalls and uh, and also understand the different kind of contracts and client interaction um, and ultimately you know uh, it got to a point where I was comfortable enough well I thought I was comfortable enough that I absorbed as much as I could to then take all of that knowledge and then apply it to like a smaller scale model like running my own sort of practice so you know, well, when we put in a mentorship, right? It was like an internship that we were paid really well, and you had a lot of risk mitigation from all all that you were taught. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, straight out of straight out of university, I basically started working in a really sort of high profile um, 
studio and I was there for eight years and um, you know I was a, an associate director there and then kind of moved on to another sort of design firm that was um, uh, again at the sort of top tier sort of level that uh, the kind of work that they did and was there for another maybe three and a half years before basically you know, bowing out and saying okay actually yeah I want to spend I, more time what I find really interesting is like for 15 years I've never known you to you have any desire other than to be an architect like where did that come from was that like something you always said that you were going to do or like straight out of no university? Way. like where, where did all this start and, and yeah it's, it's a it's a funny yeah it's a funny yeah look personally even I don't know uh, I almost uh, I almost tell uh, I almost tell family and friends that you know it was almost like an accident that I fell into kind of the the work that I do but um but just a little bit of history on that um uh I was always very attracted to the creative aspect of of schooling you know visual arts and that kind of stuff but and um but the underlying kind of history behind what I do now is that um my dad is actually an architect like graduated um in the Philippines and but he was never on the front line of conversation growing up and even as I started you know even throughout high school as I was sort of started showing interest in in architecture and in design um I knew that he had a um affiliation to the industry I didn't know gravity of, of what he'd actually achieved my dad and um it wasn't until kind of studying um I think in college that, you know every now and then he'd sort of pop in give me some sort of advice on on you know what I'm doing and sort of getting in sort of giving me some hints on actually you know what this industry is quite sort of intense and heavy but if you don't have a passion for it you kind of uh, you'll probably fall off the side yeah. uh, but again but over time it just sort of built on that kind of a uh, sort of interest and I think one of the underlying reasons why I, I find the industry or, or, or the work so engaging is that how it actually how the built environment actually affects people yeah. you know a lot of the a lot of the work that I do is um I, or a lot of the clientele that I work with are kind of young families have kids and 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 it wasn't actually until I started having kids that I could really engage myself in the in my work in a way where I can relate my experiences to my clients experiences and how they would live in the houses that we designed for them right so um you know yeah, interesting yeah. being able to build that relationship you know I I don't see you um you're a very personable guy um but I, I never see you as like a pushy salesman <laughs> right so how do you how do you lead generate you know how do you get clients without selling and then carry a yeah. book of business yeah so to be brutally honest with you you know a lot of my work that um that I have in the books has been through sort of word of mouth and sort of um connecting um uh connecting with sort of builders and contractors that have sort of worked with um over the past sort of 20 years and you know um reputation. it's usually yeah reputation it's usually starts off with a conversation you know i think personal connection is uh is a very important um sort of aspect in kind of 
the business model that I try to sort of work within. Um, right. A lot of the um, a lot of the clientele that I that I work with was you know could have been like a, an introduction during a social event, for instance, like we were at a party one time and then you know we strike a conversation about oh you know what do you do? Oh, I'm an architect and you know this is the kind of work that I uh, I do. And I think the connection happens very organically. It's right. it's um, I vet even even personally I vet my clients a lot and make sure that that relationship prior to even engaging um, in a business sort of a environment is to make sure that that relationship is, uh, is is genuine. It's not purely about a business transaction. You know, I'm I'll, I'm able to provide you a service, but it's more than that it's 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 me having a connection to their project it's me having right. a connection to um to what their what the outcome of their project wants to be and but then also vice versa they need to they need to connect with me in the way i would approach their project for instance um so yes yeah, like so reverse sale then right like you're looking at like you won't take on a project unless you're really passionate about it and that's the kind of the artistry behind uh, being an architect well you i think that's one way to yeah definitely that's one way to put it there's like a briefing process it, it sounds quite rudimentary when you when you call it a briefing process but yeah it's more it's uh it's for me it's a lot more organic um but um traditionally that's exactly what it is it's almost like a re return brief and you know you talk about what those what what those platforms are that you resonate on and and what if and when you get to a point where actually you know what let's work together we can do this and that's kind of how it then develops to to that client and and sort of architect sort of relationship yeah it kind of reminds me of because you're with these clients for what eight months wow no. so you know it can be anywhere between um minimum two years minimum oh, wow. The longest. So you definitely got to make sure you, you you get along with these people. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Torture yourself for two years. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a yeah, that's right. And then you know, there's this sort of running joke in the in the in the industry where you know the first couple of months or even the first year, they, it, it let's call it the honeymoon period, and you know, it's uh, the relationship is still quite sort of fresh and new, and the, you know, it's not until you really get into bed with someone that you know all the other all the other nuances of the relationship starts to come out but then you know again if the foundations are right and if you're resonating at the basic level of of why you engage with one another in the first place and if you always sort of go back to those sort of uh foundations those principles yeah. you know you can always sort of correct that path quite easily so I think it's you're kind of. I think it's incredibly rare. You can't find wrong, but I think most architects wouldn't wouldn't be able to maintain a relationship. Like I, I haven't met a lot of socially really outgoing uh, architects in my in my space. There's few. Um, is that is that commonplace in the industry where you have somebody that is able to um, be an architect and do the work and also be able to connect with people for easier? um i think it's a personal i think it uh the easy answer to that is there's certainly a lot of architects and designers out there that don't take their work quite as 
seriously as you know as as someone as another architect um i guess it's about um finding a personal sort of balance yourself to see or or injecting your own kind of personality into the work if that makes any sense um again you have this you have this stigma on what an architect should be or or you know or how they should act or or dress or right. or how and again um i just talk from experience and you know the the word architect or the the accolade of being an architect in australia is totally different to the accolades that you might get in in america for instance you know so the so so go back going back to your original question you know the, i know a, a ton of fun architects and designers that are that I work with and in part of the business sort of model that 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 we we try to sort of engage with is I have a lot of those relationships that that I had in the past still ongoing and I work with a lot of designers that I worked in the past so maybe it's not not as uh clear as I you know I have a big software background and I think one of the thing in that and where that's kind of where my thought is coming coming from is had a lot of people that could do programming and write code for the moment they had to explain it or have have a conversation they were completely mm-hmm. out of their own realm and it was that kind of like there was their artistry through code right and that just yeah. what they wanted to do they didn't want to deal with people, right yeah right so much of like this uh being an architect from what i understand which is very little uh you know there's an incredible amount of work and design work in the background mm-hmm. and just tons of permitting and just legally in every county, every city, every every state, every country. It's all different and you got to really burst yourself in so many different areas. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? And so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of rare in my opinion um uh, cuz I don't see it a lot. But then again, I don't see a lot of architects period. I don't I don't know a lot. My uncle mm. was an architect, very successful, very um outgoing, but you know, he had a bunch of architects that worked for him that also were not that at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's but Yeah, no, I think that was part of um uh I go back to again when I was back in the in the studio environment um in a larger sort of practice that's called it, you know, 12 persons in in a in a studio or a practice certainly for a practice of that size to be efficient enough to do what they do um it's inherent that certain aspects of the business is allocated to those personnel so if you're a technician for instance so uh the likelihood of you doing any sort of contractual stuff will be a little you know you'll be you won't you won't hardly ever be exposed to kind of that aspect of the business because you're a technician whereas if you're if you're if your mindset is more contractual then you might be involved with um client uh interaction and also writing up all the different you know financial sort of obligations or whatever that goes around that their, their project but, but um, isn't that the leap that you made though really you went from being able to be the transaction person the contract person mm-hmm. the actual you know the the actual drawings and whatever else because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. under you have to wear all those hats right yeah 100% and that that go, again that goes back to the whole when i was working in the studio being able to recognize that okay there's so many aspects of our business if i can not you know if i can understand um all those different aspects of of what what is um required to sustain a particular business especially 
you know, especially in, obviously in architecture and design, if I'm able to extract those elements and and have a strong a strong enough understanding of all those different sort of elements to make it my own, and then how I can then apply those same principles into a model that that works for me, right? You know, and and how I want to run my own kind of work. So so yeah. So obviously, I know you and family is very important, and then you've you've alluded to this um, throughout this entire conversation is that you know mm. you've made changes and priorities that may have um, you know changed your goals ultimately yeah. that um, you know for a good cause, right? For your for your wife and your kids, yeah, yeah, um, and all that. Um, so the question here that you know I had before is, and you know I honestly don't know this answer. I think I do, but. Yeah. Um, so who has been the best example uh, for you as a mentor in your life? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a big one because there's no, um, I would have to, I would just have to, like, um, I don't think there's one person. I think it's more about the principles of, of what it means to, to sort of, uh, I don't like the word balance, but I'll use balance anyway, to balance uh, the whole work and sort of family kind of situation. So in terms of best sort of mentor, I'd probably, I probably go back to my childhood and and see, and see how, um, you know how I had experienced it as a child. Um, I guess uh, my parents played a really big part in, in obviously us moving to Australia. So. When, when I talk about mentors, I look back a lot on those experiences when I was little um, and also trying to build on those experiences what I'm trying to sort of do with my family because of all the stuff that, you know, my parents did with us. So, again, I'm going around in circle here because, again, there's no specific kind of a, a moment where, okay, it's actually that person. but. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, my parents play played like a really big part in understanding what it means to relocate, you know, their family unit from a country that was, you know, uh, basically a third world country to to Australia, and then building a foundation for us, their kids, to to then kind of do our own thing. Um, so when when I tap into that kind of uh, mentality, um, I think that was that plays like a really strong um, sort of drive in, in in what I do, in um, even now. So, how old do you think you were when you really appreciated and understood that sacrifice, really, in the high school? Difficult high school. It's very yeah, very very vivid in my in my mind. Um, I think it was late high school that I really uh, kind of appreciated that that kind of um, I guess let's call it opportunity again you know I have a lot of cousins that we left in in the Philippines that were a very similar age as us and um, you know we often we often hear you know stories of where where they are now and um, I guess um, you know the opportunities that we have growing up or we had growing up in Australia was just so much greater and we wouldn't be able to do what we what we do now if it weren't for you know my parents coming over and sort of assimilating into to to this country so yeah. again massive journey 
and I go, and I don't even know how they did it, to be honest. And we talk about age, like my parents were, um, how old were they? I was seven, so maybe 23, 24 years old. Good Lord. Yeah, 20, 23, 24 years old, moving to, to, to a, you know, another country and starting over, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because, like, you lose perspective on age so much. I, I remember clearly, for whatever reason, I remember my mother or my father, um, someone told me that they were, like, 33. I'm like, wow, they're so old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it, it, to look back at this and, like, see where when we met at 24 we didn't, I didn't I didn't know shit you know I thought no. I did right um, yeah I think that's part of the whole motivation to launch something like this with Jumpstart Junkie is that uh, I don't think that a lot of people have a good circle of mentorship around them and then yeah. they don't have a lot of good stories mainly because you know you don't get paid to give advice a lot right <laughs> like yeah. give good advice you need good friends you need good family network and sometimes people don't have that mm. uh, Obviously, you, you, your, your parents are incredibly family oriented. Um, yes. And no one knows this, but you are the third Leonardo Caligari. Yeah, yeah. And there I've is, called you yeah. third my entire life. Yeah, um, that's you true. You also have a brother, fourth, and yeah. fifth is Cinco. Just mm -hmm. to throw some yeah, yeah. Spanish in there. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So, so we got third, fourth, and Cinco. That's what I've known uh, forever. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about what that means to you to actually be called third to your loved ones and your friends. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's a big, Yeah, look, I think there's a there's a lineage here. It's uh, so the original the original Leonardo was my grandfather, and um, so you know, his name is Leonardo Calico and. When he had um, when he had my dad, he named him exactly the same Leonardo Calico, but Junior. And then for whatever reason, <laughs> my parents thought it would be a really good idea to sort of continue that namesake. And so when I was born, uh, they just added, you know, the third at the end of that. And then they figured they just sort of carry it on because why discriminate? right <laughs> yeah and then so uh, so until it my, became a problem in the house where yeah, no one knew that's where they were right home. no yeah exactly so um so then the fourth was born then the fifth so i guess what the you know going back to your question what what that means to me i think it's very uh uh it means a lot to me actually because you know there's uh um there's inherent with that is that you're carrying a, a name that has um uh that spread across five five generations really um and so the the namesake is very kind of uh important and also yeah it means it means a great deal and um and you know funnily enough um now that my brothers are kind of older we spend a lot of time sort of critiquing even our own work and um their kind of background they're in the creative space as well you know they're in sort of web design and um, sort of media and media design. And so there's a, there's a conduit of, um, uh, there's a conduit that we all kind of can relate on. Uh, yeah. So we're, you know, you know, we're you know, enjoying our time at the moment. Yeah. Cause you, you're all kind of in the same space, right? You're all in your own profession, your own mm. kind of niche, if you will. Right. Um, yeah. 
and it's interesting that you guys weren't really pushed to that particular industries or that that space right. but all be kind of chose the same thing um yeah. at different levels right yeah it's funny it's a you know maybe it's a reflection of again growing up in a particular um in a particular environment at home um i actually don't know why that why we entered you know, the the creative industry like all of us yeah you're right all of us are basically in that space yeah so you know that, that's an interesting question i've had with a lot of people saying is kind of your um your career choices or if you really could follow your passions are is that something that's like behavioral or is that a dna thing like is it learned or do you like think you're kind of like really born to find I, th i think look i think there's a seed there um and and, and and it's a funny it's a funny question it's a great question actually because um as parents right you obviously want the best for your kids and and um you want to be able to guide them let's call it even mentor them into a position where they're able to make those kind of big ticket decisions in life um and then so now my eight, my eight-year-old son um you know we're quite engaged with him when in, in school work and, and that kind of stuff but we never push him onto you know particular subject lines or his we all all we really encourage him to do is uh, okay um enjoy enjoy your school work you know have good friends and if there's an interest in a particular subject then kind of um ask him more questions about it almost like nurture and push it to a point where okay it's challenging enough for him but he's also still enjoying it so um and then when our second child was born our daughter um uh, violet who's three years old now um they're basically apples and oranges right so the journey with so the journey that we had um with jackson prior was no precedence to the kind of sort of journey that we're going to have with 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 violet so um i guess going back to your question i um personally i feel as the 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 level of interest that a, a person or even a child finds in a particular subject is uh is inherent but it's mm -hmm. whether or not it's whether or not they build on that or whether or not it's encouraged in them to, in to sort of build on that. yeah exactly in their environment it, and, is, um, is your son is your son or your daughter like leaning towards that create creative mindset do you think i think they're going down the um, path one of them Oh, I'm not I'm not sure to be honest like they're both kind of creative in their own sort of uh inclinations uh uh one's more structured play the other one is a little bit more kind of free play and uh and 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 yeah so I think you know I think inherently we're we're all um creative we start off as being quite creative but it's not until we sort of get more involved or get more sort of exposed in particular environments where the that level of creativity create creativity might be restricted mm. yeah, and then that's you know i won't go you know maybe we won't go into sort of that discussion that's what my part of my sort of uh um you know that's why the education you know framework of of how it's structured i think i don't necessarily agree with anymore even though right. you know we all went through that system but you know it doesn't necessarily facilitate um everyone's kind of um or the kids sort of needs at particular times in their education i guess so yeah anyway. 
it's a yeah, you know, the blanket approach is tough. Um, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. I think that's another hour long. Yeah, no, it's a no, it's a different one. It's a different <laughs> conversation. Yeah, let's yeah. save that one for later. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So I got an interesting question for you here. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give um, your 18 year old self? Right. Um, 18 year old self. Best advice I would give would be, and again, um, part of the, you know, part of this whole thing for you is is those four buckets you talk about. And I think my 18 year old self, I think I would, the advice I would give him would be more conscious in the principles surrounding money. I think, yeah. and really understanding the ins and outs of of what. Um, the monetary system is and how it works versus the um the the systems that are in place for currencies right. so there's a and 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 the and yeah so i i think the 18 year old self needs to educate himself more in the business or or in the yeah in the ins and outs of money yeah yeah, there's a great series uh, for anyone that's listening or um, gonna hear this when it's recorded um, on YouTube later. Uh, is if you go on YouTube and you type in uh, gold silver, uh, I think it's Mike Maloney. He has a series, a free documentary series called How Money Works, and it's a good 12 or 15 part series. But I tell you, it's the most educational series I've ever seen that ties all the differences between currency and money, and the history of it, and the Keynesian theories. Um, yes. really, yeah, it, it's really quite, um, it's really interesting. I mean, if it's something you're passionate about actually learning or knowing, mm -hmm. it, it's one of those kind of like binge things, like you'll binge it for $12, nice. right? And it has a really good animations in it. And, um, and really, you know, it's, it's applicable even in Australia because what you have is you got a, uh, world standard currency, essentially, um, it's a currency of exchange as the U S dollar. And everything's mm -hmm. based off the U.S. dollar. And mm -hmm. There's a whole other theory that um, I ran into called the milkshake milkshake theory. Mm -hmm. um, that basically is how fractional reserves work and how interest works when we're uh, U.S. U.S. government's lending money and mm -hmm. and how all the the big scam really plays out. And um, yeah, and, and a lot of it gets exposed with things like COVID. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and COVID's a, a very real thing. However, it also exposed the the giant holes inside of uh, quantitative easing, and it's mm -hmm. happening worldwide. I mean, every worldwide. government is printing mm -hmm. money at a at a rate that is in hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. um, this morning, actually, um, I forwarded a uh, Nugget News. Um, mm -hmm. There's a guy in Australia who does an amazing recap on money, currencies, different things, and, and he's in Australia, mm -hmm. so he has a lot of focus on that. Um, and he was talking about the, you know, the amount of unemployed, um, people just yeah. this week in Australia and where the mm -hmm. uh, variation is. And so I agree with you, 18 year old selves, uh, if you don't understand how money works, you'll be very mm -hmm. hoping you did. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I guess, again, going back to currently what's happening in the world at the moment and, um, you know, I've made a conscious decision, you know, with all the extra again time that we may have because of particular lockdowns to you know educate myself in, in in more of what's happening big picture so i'm then able to kind of apply you know myself and 
and my own kind of principles into what's happening at the moment because um, there's certainly in and amongst all of the you know what's happening right now there's certainly opportunities to do better yeah and um and it's about i think recognizing those opportunities and to see um you know moving forward what you know what uh what that will look like and how you can leverage those kind of positions so, so what what is your litmus test uh, or like your bullshit meter when you're learning new things to say hey that's not accurate that's fake news this is actually useful this is not uh well personal research i think so for face value when you hear something and, and it interests you then that's kind of the catch and then once you once you read into it you know there's another question that's born out of that so you do you you go off on another tangent and you research that and you know there's information out there to kind of uh to 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 better inform you in making a big picture um kind of assessment of, of what's going on so i think it's just education just reading a lot and making sure that okay um is it a reputable kind of resource that i'm reading from or you know is there an underlying sort of driver that we know from you know mainstream media or whatever but um yeah, yeah so yeah, I, i think quite quickly a, yeah there is a um i think if you go slow to actually form what your own opinion is based on mm-hmm. what you learn you'll actually be a much more educated person to hear the narratives on both sides right is this true is it yeah 100 percent right and then you can actually form your own opinion i think where uh when you're younger you're like as soon as you read something you hear something you're like oh that must be true or yeah you know true enough i'll tell somebody yeah <laughs> right yeah exactly you really have no original thought in your entire head like at all yeah because you've never really practiced exactly what you said right yeah um, which relates right back to probably why you know you kind of had your tenure in the studio and found success in your own independent business because you were able to actually educate yourself on all phases of a situation or a business and be able to speak intelligently all the way around the circle um, so mm-hmm. that it's not going to overwhelm you um you know when you go out there on your own and you have mm. all the risk right yeah no 100% yeah so um we got to see if we have any comments here from anybody um originally we had a couple here so looks like you have them here get a couple here but i really just got one last uh one last question for you and then um then we can wrap this up is uh um, yeah no problem and this is a big one um how do you think australians will actually fare um when all the all all this covid stuff shakes out how do you think your economy mm-hmm. is actually going to shake up compared to the US or Italy or countries in Europe like where, where do you think you're ranked do you think this is going to be you're somewhere in the middle or is this a catastrophe and you guys will shit the bed or are you going to come mm-hmm. and bounce right back look in my personal opinion on that is that we our economy is reliant on the knock-on effects from the global like let's that's kind of my take on it so you know even now even the way again we talk about economy and we talk about uh, this stock exchange and all that kind of stuff but there's such a gravity towards what the US are doing or the what what the strategies are have been sort of put in place um 
in in the U.S. and then for whatever reason, we feel as though in this country that we're you know you know we have to adapt the same kind of principles. So you spoke about it earlier, and you know this whole situation where all government all government agencies are pumping um, you know printing money and pumping you know pumping you know money into into the economy um, to to better the situation, but it's such a short-term sort of reaction to to what's going to happen in big picture. And um, you know, personally, I think it's so unprecedented what we're seeing at the moment, not just on uh, economic level, but just the uh, again the people's kind of psyche that's gonna that, um, how people are gonna come out of this whole lockdown sort of period. However long it yeah. takes. Um, so, again, yeah, it's very hard to. When I, yeah, when I when I visited uh, Sydney and uh, that was good lord, it'll be two years in July. Yeah, almost. Yeah, that's right. Um, one thing that really struck me is like there is no dominant race, if you will. Like there is no. so multicultural everywhere, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. You know, I I didn't grow up in a in a world like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, and what was so cool is that like, it wasn't even a thing like mm-hmm. race, prejudice, uh, any of that crap. It didn't exist in Sydney at mm-hmm. all. Like, like everyone just looked at you like they were like team human, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, but at the side, the other side of it though, was from an economic standpoint, it was very clear to me that there was a ton of different countries investing in Australia or mm-hmm. importing, exporting, right? It didn't seem like there was a lot of like, mm-hmm. you know, Australia's making a bunch of stuff that the world needs. It's kind yes. of like Australia's like this consumerism culture and everything's so expensive because you're in the middle of the ocean. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's going to be interesting that like what kind of foreign money, right? And the exchange mm-hmm. from, all the Asian investors that are there just driving mm-hmm. prices and real estate through the roof out there for you mm-hmm. guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how that actually impacts the, uh, that actually impacts the US dollar into the Australian dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've already seen some massive spike there. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, the purchasing power just went, like, I want to go visit now because I could actually buy something with my US dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. Which, which is the complete opposite of like what should be happening here because uh, the U.S. dollar is um, in hyperinflation right now, and um, and but the way the way money works and currency works, it's um, very complicated. Um, and so these are the type of times that when you get that and you understand it, I think it can really help kind of hedge. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like you're looking at a you're a you're a uh, not a sole provider in your household, but you mm-hmm. you make you make a lot of money and. Mm-hmm. How does that affect you and your plans in the next, you know, next three years of and your clientele? Yeah. I think I asked you yeah. that, right? And so we'll let the viewers kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, look, it's funny the the clientele that we have. Let's call it. Let's call it the you know the one percenters. You know, we do kind of we work on fortunate enough to be working on sort of high end type residential work, and the the clientele that we do have have very stable kind of jobs and. You know, uh, uh, CEOs or managers, and and at this point in time, the knock-on effect on the kind of workload or or even their jobs is very minimal, right? Because of the kind of 
um, positions that they hold, right? And um, more often than not, they're let's call it they're they're a little bit more sort of affluent. But so the knock-on effect to to what's happening at the moment, we probably in our industry won't feel the total gravity of until another six months down to down the track, maybe even longer than that. Or, you know, um, it's crazy. I, all, are all the bars and restaurants all, and like gas stations and all that stuff closed down? Shut down. Shut down yeah. now. Um, yeah. I was every blown day. Away by how much money, salary, that yes. those those hospitality positions make. I think mm-hmm. that you, I think you were telling me uh, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 salary for a bartender. Yeah. Yeah. That's right? totally. Yep. That's totally up there. Normal, right. Yeah, totally normal. Yeah. Um, but then again, in Australia, like your rental rates are like three thousand bucks for a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Right. So, right. Uh, um, yeah. So I think we'll fare. I, I don't think we'll fare better than than a lot of, a lot of countries. I think it's such a, it's such an across the board kind of um, uh, knock and effect to the global economy. Um, you know, there's only you know there's probably only a handful of sort of countries at the moment that are even geared up to be moving or yeah. or or generating some form of you know production uh, we're certainly not in that position where we've been instructed by our own government to you know to be in lockdown and it's a long weekend like i mentioned it's a easter long weekend here so uh everyone and there's been a whole set of sort of series of rules and regulations again on what we can and can't do in the next sort of four days but it's ever-changing and every day it's different and um you know we spoke about this and uh the other day and um you know they're still umming and ahhing about whether or not schools are going to be closed whereas you guys there in arizona it's, it, they were closed a long time ago yeah yeah so you, you made the choice to take your kids out right yeah basically as soon as i started to sort of uh we you know we caught wind of what's actually happening we just made the conscious decision and again fortunate enough to do it there's not a lot of again there's there's families out there that don't have a choice to but to keep their their kids in school because again you you feel for the the guys that are on front line because you know the guys in the medical industry also have kids so they can't stay home because their their calling is look we want to help if if there's no you know if there's any point if there was any time in the in 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 us really making a big difference in in, the, in our profession it's kind of now right yeah because yeah. that's um that's what they've been kind of trained to do so uh, i get it from both sides of the fence um um but yeah i guess i guess there's uh there's not a global approach to what's happening at the moment it's purely to the discretion of not just um the country's sort of overarching you know government but also local governments and local kind of uh, councils that have a have their own stance on what's happening so you know we were we were up we were up the road this time last week um we got brighton Les sands beach and um there's people just walking around swimming you know doing normal things like nothing's happening so <laughs> yeah so who knows a mixed bag for sure um, but we're coming up here on uh, an hour here, and I know you got to get back to your little ones. But I appreciate yeah. you taking the hour of your time and sharing with us your kind of journey as an entrepreneur. And 
Likewise. your family values. I appreciate it so much. Uh, love seeing you again, man. Um, let's yeah. not make it more years. <laughs> no, definitely not. Let's hound each other. Let's keep hounding each other. All right. Thanks All so much. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Junkie podcast with Eddie Roach. For more exclusive content, find us at the Jumpstart Junkie on all social platforms, including Spotify, Facebook Live, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Twitter, and more.